Welcome to episode 35 of Probably Polly, the podcast where we question everything, even our name. As always, I am your host, Michael Haig. I am your co-host, Sarah Lucas. And I'm your co-host, Mandy Conant. And today's topic is free will, yes. which is a big one. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Before we get into the topic, I'd like to remind everyone, share us, like us, comment on Facebook, on SoundCloud, and on our website. And if you feel like donating, please do the link is on our facebook page and it's on our website we love you and so you should like us pimp probably polly we love it (laughs) before i do any tech notes i want to ask a couple of questions a couple of thought experiments with you two so what do you think free will means that is a very good question i was hoping you would have an answer well i think it's subjective to your environment because free will in america means something different than free will in say china So I think it's defined by our circumstances. But ultimately, I would say the ability to act the way you think is most appropriate for your circumstances as often as you can. Okay, so what would disrupt free will? Or is that even possible under that definition? Yes. If some law were to be put into place or some rule in some organization were to be put into place that requires you to change the way you behave in a way that you feel is negative and makes it harder for you to live a happy life, that would infringe on your free will. So no one has free will? I was going to say, I would definitely disagree with that. Every government everywhere has rules that at least some of the rules every single person thinks infringe, so. I honestly, I feel that, yeah, no one really truly has free will because nothing is free in the environment. I don't know, maybe my definition of free will is way too broad, and so I feel like it's not possible based on my definition. All right. Mandy, I want to hear your thoughts on what you think free will is. I think free will is the ability to make a decision. The ability to decide what you're going to do in given circumstances. What would count for you as the ability to make a decision? I don't know how to answer that. Yeah. That's what I was thinking. Like you have to first define ability and what that means. Yeah, I don't know how to answer that. This is my general problem with free will. Most of the time if I ask somebody, do you have free will? They're like, shit, yeah. And I'm like, is that important? They're like, totally. And I'm like, cool, what is it? And like, no clue. Yeah. I'm like, if you don't even know what it is, are you sure it's important? And are you sure you have it? <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's how I've always defined it is the, is the ability to make a decision. Can you give me an example of when you might not have free will? Is it possible to lose your free will? I think that it is possible to lose it in regard to certain things yes can you describe just an example of where you've lost free will if you're imprisoned okay you do still have a certain amount of free will in prison because you have the opportunity to make decisions in any in any given circumstance while you're in prison can you walk out the door no your free will is impaired for you free will can be impaired by like the physical impossibility of an action yes or or monetarily oh so monetarily removes your free will for you the lack of money removes definitely some people's free will. I'd like to add something to to my definition of what I feel it is because I think you always have it and then you never have it at the same time because you are controlled by your environment to a degree almost all of the time and then also you have the opportunity to behave in a way that you feel is best behave in the way that you feel is best based on your capacity to behave in certain ways and cognitive understanding at all times even if you are imprisoned even if you're in a straitjacket 
in a room, you still have a set of free will within certain guidelines. Then there's mental impairments too. Right. Where like people with like OCD don't have free will to be able to control... Some things, right? Yeah. But then they also have free will. It's just within those guidelines, right? It's just within the box that they're set in. So, so basically, we have free will inside parameters. Exactly. But then again, that's not free will by, I imagine, what the colloquial definition of free will is, to have parameters. So, Mandy, you're saying that if you have an OCD impairment, which forces you to do certain actions repetitiously, you don't have free will. To be able to stop doing them, you know what I'm saying? What's the difference between that and any other time a person that doesn't have that does something that they think that they shouldn't do and don't want to do, but think that they don't want to do but still do like when i'm like okay i don't want to eat this entire cake and then five hours later i've eaten an entire cake what's the difference between that scenario and the ocd scenario where that was my free will but the ocd one wasn't okay i don't i don't have ocd sure just to put that out there so this is a hypothetical yes and di- i'm just so i'm just working on what i've been told about ocd i have i have two friends that have been diagnosed with it they just said that they, li- they literally can't one can't leave a room. She's she's. It's a click thing with the the light. Mm-hmm, sure. And she can't leave a room without doing it. Can't physically fucking leave the room without doing it. And I'm like, I don't get that because I think you should be able to just go. Okay, I really shouldn't do that and walk out the room. Where's your evidence that I could have not eaten that cake? I I don't know. I, I'm not saying that that's that you did have free will there because if you've got some type of eating disorder. Oh, I don't. I don't think I do. Maybe I do, and that's why I'm overweight. <laughs> <laughs> but, but I don't I don't think that's the case. So let's do a different thought experiment. All right. So let's imagine that you have a time machine. Yes, I want to imagine this. And you get in the time machine and you go back to last week and you watch yourself doing some series of five activities. Okay. So in this case, we'll say getting up, going to shower, making yourself a certain lunch and going to work. And you're watching from a non-interfering position, like through like a time window. So you're not physically there or messing with the butterfly effect or anything. You're just watching without intervening. And you rewind time. And and then you watch it again and you rewind time and you watch it again. Does it ever change? No, given your setting here and no. No, because you're not changing it. Here's my next question then. How can you prove that you could have ever done anything else if you only ever did that thing and you never did the other thing? In that specific moment in time, I don't think you can. Well, but in any moment in time, right? It's theoretical that you could make different choices than you would make, mm-hmm. but there's no evidence that you can. So if you're sitting there eating that cake and you say to yourself, I should stop eating this cake but I don't want to. And you eat the whole cake. I think that you could have stopped, but you didn't want to. But you can't prove that I could have stopped. There's no way to prove that I could have. Well, you'd have to define proof there because, I mean, with anything, even if with a with a crime, can you really prove something happened if you weren't physically there seeing it? Like visual impairments. And I mean, there are lots of things that can go into play that makes it impossible to really prove anything. There's a standard of evidence that's a little bit different there. The point is, it's not even possible to conceive of an experiment to see if you could do something different than you've already done. I mean, that's true. In that specific moment in time any moment in time to prove that you could right. have done anything different that you've already done than you've already then you did it yep well if you sit down next week to eat the same cake and you stop but it's not the same cake it's a different day with different circumstances different biochemical situations different bodily scenarios right that's what i'm saying is in that specific moment you can't prove that you would have done anything else that's right. You, you can't prove it, but you can draw on reason and historical behavior to determine if it uh, was reasonable for you to have a different outcome. To be fair, it is not reasonable for my friend to have to 
flip that fucking switch three times every time she leaves her room. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's not reasonable to me. Yeah. Yeah, not to you, but... So reasonable is relative, is what I'm saying. Sure. Right. Let's go look at some of the actual definitions, and we'll come back to some of those thought experiments about why they matter. Yes, let's do. Here's my first and favorite one. I like to pull from the Stanford Encyclopedia of Philosophy because it's very available to everybody. It isn't behind a paywall. You can go look at the article that I'm going to post in the bottom of this, and it's a good intro for any like philosophy topic. They start by saying that free will is usually a word that is used as a, quote, designator for a significant kind of control over one's actions. You'll note that it's not clear what significant means. Right. You have to decide what counts as significant. Yeah. But when people use the word free will, they generally mean it has an importantly different kind of control than some other scenario. That seems like an apt definition for the way it's used. And this is why we sort of avoided talking about free will, that in trying to understand what that specific control might look like, you have to consider questions, quote, among others, of causation, this is a quote still, laws of nature, time, substance, ontological reduction versus emergence, the relationship of causal and reason based explanations, the nature of motivation, and more generally of human persons. So <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's a lot. Right, like yeah. to try and figure out if you have free will is a lot. So we're obviously not going to be doing that. Not tonight anyway. <laughs> <laughs> And so then they have another line that says free will has traditionally been conceived of as a kind of power to control one's choices and actions. Yeah. And then, of course, they raise the question, when an agent exercises free will over her choices and actions, her choices and actions are up to her, but in what sense and why is that sense important? It's important to say real quick, I've talked before about how I use existentialism as almost a useful fiction because it is premised on at least one, what I would call, structural lie, which is that Sartre's idea of free will is that you always have it no matter what all the time so for start if i put a gun to your head and i'm like do what i say or i'll shoot you you have free will to not do what i say and be shot right that's the kind of definition that i was thinking earlier Mm -hmm. was in whatever parameter you're in you have a decision making ability but of course sart did understand that your decisions were constrained by physics so he did think that you know obviously you can't choose to fly for instance with charity you got to remember what this philosophy was reacting to this philosophy is directly post world war ii and it's people struggling to come up with a non-religious based reason to hold Nazi soldiers accountable for war crimes. Mm. Because the response that every Nazi soldier had was, well, the dude above me said he'd shoot me if I didn't do this. Interesting. By Sarah's earlier version of free will, where she says, you know, if someone threatens you or if the government says you have to do it, they take away your free will, then you don't have free will. And therefore, it's really not your fault if you run a concentration camp. But that's, yeah. And so the question was, how do you hold people accountable when their lives were threatened by the structure in play? And so, of course, course this philosophy is going to come out on the extra harsh side because it just survived the apocalypse Mm -hmm. yeah the problem with that is that it's incredibly bourgeois and it's incredibly hegemonically privileging thankfully bovere did some really wonderful work contradicting this idea in both feminist works in the second sex and in the same book about racial oppression. She would point it out that you really don't have free will if you're born into slavery and taught you're a slave from the day you're born, which was true from her perspective also a woman, that you were born and told your property, men will buy you and own you, mm-hmm. and you're not allowed to think for yourself, you can't think for yourself. And so Rivera introduced the concept that there can be structural constraints that actually rob people of free will if the entire system is designed to do that. And that's where I brought up money. Right. 
that like in a capitalist society where you'll literally starve to death if you don't make your money, then you do have a lack of free will in the sense that it's just against every part of your nature to let yourself starve or be freezing or let your kids be thrown right. out of the house, etc. And so it's very difficult for you to make choices other than the choices that make the money that you need to survive. I, of course, don't think that Beauvert went far enough. I think that really those are just the examples that make the breakdown in the logic really obvious. So when you have something that's that extreme, it's really easy to go, yes, being brainwashed on the day you're born and limited in all of your life choices down to one or two careers or staying at home does in fact make it difficult to make real choices. Being infantilized, being told that, you know, it's better if you act like a child, that it's more attractive if you act like a child, is more valuable, mm-hmm. definitely is going to mess with your free will. Mm-hmm. But actually, everything is going to mess with your free will. The non-stop 24-7 beat of the capitalism drum telling you you need to buy more and better things to be happy and showing you items that they think you'll like and using algorithms that are designed to get your maximum attention and telling you that you're not as good as people who make more money than you and telling you that you have to keep up with your neighbors or your garbage and telling you you need to keep getting more money or you failed and that anytime you take a step backwards financially even if it improves your quality of life for like a work balance purposes or in any other way you are in fact a failure that list that you just like all of that is so depressing how like true that all is those like mm-hmm. yeah, scripts that we are fed just like it lo- break my, broke my heart a little like oh that is what I've been fed damn I mean it's really hard because when every single person in the world thinks this makes sense that you've ever been exposed to it's really hard to go well I must be the one right person right because generally speaking that's a terrible approach to things you know if someone says like you can't survive jumping out of an airplane without a parachute I wouldn't try it you know I'd be like maybe <laughs> common wisdom is correct there mm-hmm. don't stick your finger in an electric socket that sounds like a poor plan so it is hard when everyone is like well this is how reality works and we're lucky that as the world gets more international and with the internet age you can just go online and go oh well these other countries don't have this capitalism insanity right these other countries aren't dealing with this these other countries have a social safety net these other countries have compassion and take care of each other and are socialist democracies at least you can point to other countries and go oh okay 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 not everything is just like this that everyone else in the world thinks we're kind of insane we're sort of the crazy psycho on the block it's true. God, it's so true. Ugh. And I'd like to add that living in the South in America makes it worse. <laughs> so my point is that we live in a causal universe. If you forget to eat breakfast tomorrow morning or sleep a half an hour too little, it's going to completely change your neurochemical structure. And then maybe your partner or a family member will step on your hurt toe while you're making breakfast and your response will just be to like scream and freak out on them. That's sort of a perfectly valid response when you think about that list of things that I just said that led up to that. And none of those are controllable variables. You didn't choose to hurt your toe, for instance, and you didn't choose to have it stepped on, and you didn't choose to lose track of time, and you didn't choose to have not eaten yet this morning, you didn't choose to have a low blood sugar condition, you didn't choose to have... And this isn't to say, obviously, that we shouldn't work on our behavior the best we can. It's just to say that if 
you agree that scripts and causality are valid infringements on the construct of free will, then you have to take that to its logical conclusion, I think, if you're being authentic about it. I think you otherwise, you're just playing a game where you pretend it doesn't exist. And I understand why you'd want to play that game, because we live in a Western society, Western philosophy, it has been for a thousand or two thousand years based on the assumption that you have free will, and that you are therefore ultimately responsible for literally whatever happens to you, no matter how good or bad it is. Free will in the end is the belief that undergirds the idea of blame. Yeah. So if you think about, like, when you look at any philosophy discussing free will, the only question they're really ever asking is, in what way can you be held blameworthy? Right. So people who take the approach that you have free will unless someone impinges it, say, with violence, are just going to say that you're blameworthy unless someone violently forced you. And people who take the approach that you always have free will no matter what happened are going to be the people that are going to say that you had free will even when there was violence and therefore you're still blameworthy even in the situation of violence. Yeah, and now that I think about it, I don't think that I've ever had a conversation about free will or where it's come up in a conversation where the people that I was speaking with or myself or whomever was trying to find who was at fault. Hmm. Sure, or... The flip side of that that I've had run into is who did a good job. Yeah. Still, it's assigning praise or blame, Mm -hmm. which are just two sides of the same coin. So it's like, well, I deserve all the money because I did the hard work to make this happen. And even though we all worked on it, I did more and therefore I should get more because whatever. We should definitely just add it to that list of good and evil. Right. Well, it's it's part of the system. And that's why I said before when we were doing good and evil where I said, really, it's this giant interwoven circle that's really difficult to deal with because when you start talking about good and evil, you really do need to talk about praise and blame and you really need to talk about free will because it's really difficult to have a good and evil system without being able to assign praise and blame merits and demerits and it's then very difficult to have praise or blame if you say well we're all causal entities mm-hmm. right and there's no such thing as good and evil right the flow of causation has led me inexorably to the moment in my life that i exist in and to all of the things that have happened up until this point it's really difficult to say well i deserve either an obscene amount of wealth to the point that it hurts other people or an obscene amount of punishment at the point that it hurts me. And that's really what free will is going to be about. It's going to be about feeling good about basically being mean to other people in some way or another. So either denying them access to resources that you have that they could benefit from that you can spare. One of the things that I had a listener talk about and I've had listeners talk about is when they learn that there's no free will or when when someone learns there's no free will or when they learn there's no good and evil, the first stage in my experience for most people, if they don't have this sort of lead in that I'm trying to build is a kind of depression and ennui. What's the point of getting up in the morning if I can't be a good guy? What's ennui? Oh, sorry. Ennui is a French word that means... Well, I knew it was French. (laughs) That means lack of motivation or desire for anything. Kind of an apathy then. Uh, okay. Yeah, it's sort of like an extreme version of apathy. Like, it's not worth sort okay. of even getting up in the morning to do things. Oh. And it is tied, I mean, because existentialism is so French, it is sort of tied to this idea of existentialist. There's no meaning in life. There's no point. Maybe that's why I'm so pessimistic. <laughs> you <laughs> <laughs> so, so, the, so this is... 
You know, so this is, a, I think, a very common first reaction because of the scripts you've been taught, though. Not because of the revelation itself, but because of those scripts that you've been taught. Because at some point, there were humans before anyone even thought of the idea of free will. And those humans had never heard of free will and were not depressed by the idea of not having it. Touché. As well as most Asian philosophies and countries don't include free will in part of the structure. In fact, almost no ancient religion did either. I mean, if you look at Hellenism, whenever the oracle is like, here's your future, it just comes true no matter what you do. Half the time, the decisions you make to avoid your future is what causes it to happen. In ancient Norwegian religion, Ragnarok is the predicted end of the world and all things are already set. They're all going to happen the way that they're going to happen no matter what the gods do, right? So most all ancient religions, sort of pre-Abrahamic religious changes, most religions are non-free will, causal, fate-based structures. And all those people continued to do amazing, beautiful things like create Greek art that the Renaissance would be yeah. based on. <laughs> conquer half of the world if you are Roman. Sail around in Viking ships. But I would say Western religion, current Western religion, mm-hmm. is absolutely based on free will yeah. and good and evil and So I'm not I'm not trying to critique Western religion at the moment. Just talk about what Western Western religion has taught me in my lifetime. And it, what it taught me was things only have value if they're based in free will. So I actually mm-hmm. spent many years having this following conundrum. And by the way, this is such a legitimate conundrum that Kant the father of deontology spent a huge amount of time on this which is can you do a good thing if you enjoy it can anything that you enjoy be considered good because you did it because you wanted to do it because it was enjoyable instead of because of some sense of virtue or goodness or rightness i'm definitely gonna argue yes do it the point is that it has been a coherent consistent argument and that i spent like a decade being like can one do a good thing because i only do good things because they make me happy which is selfish inherently right that's the idea right which is selfish and selfish doesn't count as good from what i was always taught right you have to use your free will to act from a non-causal location to have a good thing happen in the world for just good reasons yeah let me kick back if i go work at a soup kitchen on a saturday morning Mm -hmm. and i feel good about that what Kant will end up saying and what a lot of other people have said it goes like this did you work at the soup kitchen to feel good or did you work at the soup kitchen to be good and then you felt good afterwards because if that second one then you're okay oh okay so if it was a side effect it's okay yeah if it's an (laughs) outcome but not the goal okay so like I get up in the morning to do good things because I know that when I do good things I feel fulfilled and happy right like I feel better recording this podcast and working on this podcast than I have all week but masturbating Maybe not so much. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Potentially. But so the question is, can you still do a good deed if you do it because you know it'll feel good? And I had this long period where I realized that everything you end up doing, you do because it makes you happy. That's literally the way that your brain is built. You get positive neural outcomes for evolutionarily sound behaviors. It's a reward and punishment system that evolution used to draw you towards good outcomes or useful outcomes so that you would survive until the next generation. So you're going to find that it's impossible to actually do something for so altruism is the evolutionary term for the idea that you can do things that don't benefit you somehow and the concept is it's actually impossible to be sort of completely altruistic because you actually learn to do things for other people because they make you feel good and have good outcomes so if you've ever read anything about parenting for instance and you want your kid to be more whatever positive reinforcement well positive reinforcement but also say you want your kids to do more chores 
then when they are very young, before they've decided what chores are, you should have them help you when you do your chores. You should make it social, you should make it fun, you should make it rewarding, you should make it a bonding experience, and they'll get all these positive feedback emotions that store dopamine, and then it will record an informational heuristic that says, hey, when you do chores with your family, you feel good. And then you give them praise and say they're a very helpful, useful member of the family, and then they'll record that and say, hey, when you do things that help people out, they'll tell you how great you are, and they'll be very grateful for you, and they'll that will make you feel good. And then they'll also do things for you when you want them later, like cook your favorite dinner, or scratch your head, or whatever it is that you enjoy, right? But nobody's like, oh, that's evil to teach kids that there's a reward in doing their work. I mean, not nobody. That was pretty much the Puritan plan was that you were supposed to do things just because otherwise God will murder you. (laughs) But the upshot is that that's basically how we learn what to do. The only things that you do are things that you find rewarding. People say things like, oh, well, I give to charity just to help other people. And I'm like, really? So you don't feel good about giving to charity. You don't write it off on your taxes. You don't tell any of your family and friends about it. All right. Even if you do all of those things, do you still not, in the end, feel better about yourself when you give to charity and help other people? Yeah, it's not completely altruistic. Right. I mean, I imagine that you don't give to charity and immediately feel like shit about it. Tell nobody, don't tell your family and feel terrible and continue giving to charity just because it's the right thing to do. How would that even make sense? Right. Like, you wouldn't be able to mentally maintain that approach. You just can't. So let's talk about what... What free will would look like if you had it. To go back to the time traveling example that I was using before, do you guys remember that? Mm, yes. No. Okay. If you have a time machine and you watch the same action unfold over and over and over again, it won't change. Okay. And it won't change because it has all the same inputs. If the inputs are all the same, then why would the output ever be any different? But if you have free will in the sense that you can choose literally anything, then going back to that moment in time and watching it again should provide the possibility for you to make a different decision. If you have complete completely causal free will, then it's irrelevant. So if you have causal free will, you'd make the same decision. If you have non-causal free will, it should at least be theoretically Mm -hmm. plausible that you could make a different decision because past events in a time machine are still now present events. They are not past in the same way. But you assume that with all of the same information available to you, you'll make the same decision. But if that's the case, then you can extrapolate that inductively from the very first moment you could make decisions. So the very first moment you could make decisions, you had a certain amount of information Mm -hmm. and that caused you to make that first decision. And then And you got more information and made more decisions, made more information, more decisions. But starting from that very first decision, you can see that at your first decision, you had no input. Genetics and experience created that decision. And eventually your decisions pile up and people will say, oh, all your decisions equaled input. But they're all based on a decision that was 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 based on nothing that you ever did. Yeah, right. And so you end up realizing that your decision making is causal. So now this is the question people say, well, if you don't have free will, does that mean you don't make choices? Okay, of course you make choices. Yeah. So first of all, you can literally feel yourself making choices. You think through the problem, you look way the options, you think about your past experiences, you go with your gut sometimes, you don't even know why, you just feel this is the right decision, that sort of thing. But to look at something else that's super causal that makes decisions, computers that have been programmed to do certain decision making tasks certainly make decisions. And it even takes a period of time. It doesn't happen instantly. It has to go through a program. The computer weighs the evidence. It checks the information versus its algorithm. It says, if this, then this, if this, then this, if this, then this. And the answer is... 
whatever the answer is. And you're doing something very similar, but infinitely more complex. I do not mean to say that humans are basically computers, they're not. There's an infinitely more complex system at play. So you are making choices, and this is the rub. In studies, people that don't think their choices matter or don't believe in free will actually make worse choices, even though there's evidence that there's no free will, and there's not really any evidence that there is free will, since it would be... Like, the really short version is, it's impossible to prove free will, and the burden of proof is on the prover. I can't disprove a negative. That's not possible. So I can't show you that free will doesn't exist, but you can never show me an example where you acted non-causally. There's no way to prove that that happens. Do you think that's because there's such a lean on doing right and doing good? That's a question. I was talking about sort of the when you fall off that bridge. So when you walk off the bridge of no free will, no good and evil, something has to replace it as a belief structure if you're going to keep moving forward. If you come from a culture like ours, the first step to losing that belief is you don't have a system that tells you when to do positive pro-social actions anymore. Right. And you don't have a system that tells you how to be a good actor. But I haven't believed in free will in probably a decade or more and I don't know anyone that would say that I am not a good actor. That I don't prioritize the pro-social and act in the direction of the pro-social. You're definitely a pro-social person. Mm -hmm. And you make pro-social decisions. (laughs) <laughs> How about that? I think that's the thing is that people will, will get to that wall and they'll say, and you'll see that you'll hear the equivalent when people say like, if I didn't believe in God, well, I'd just murder people. Yeah. <laughs> what? I've never heard anybody say that. You have not? <laughs> oh, I've heard people say that. Yeah. Really? Yeah. People will totally say like, well, if there's no God, why wouldn't you just murder people if it was good for you? The only reason you don't rob people, murder people, attack people is because... Because God told you not to. God's going to get you eventually. Yeah. Wow. But I think, though, that they only think that because God has always been there for them. I would agree with that. Because you don't see people who lose their faith in any statistically significant amount randomly start committing violent crimes. Yeah. So even though it feels like that in the moment, because that's what you think when you think, like, oh, I want to hit that guy. Oh, I shouldn't. It'll make God mad. (laughs) Later, you're going to be like, oh, I shouldn't. It'll make other people mad. I'll get arrested. It might ruin my career. It'll make me mad. I'll feel bad about it. I might get beat up. It'll hurt my hand. (laughs) Right. I'll break my hand because I'm actually not good at fighting because I don't have practice (laughs) fighting. I just think I'm amazing for no reason. Yeah. That's why I don't hit people because I know it's going to (laughs) hurt. So you do make choices, and coming from a background where you have always been told that you have free will and that's what makes decisions make sense, I do think that it makes sense to use the heuristic, act as if you had free will. Act as if you had complete responsibility for your actions, act as if you were making them in some sort of decision-making void where no previous experience was dictating what you end up doing, and be proud of the decisions you make as if you made decisions like that. That's fine. As long as you are aware that that's not what is happening, and as long as when you see someone else suffering or failing you don't just go well you should have made better decisions right using it as a useful fiction as long as you keep in mind that it's a fiction that it's a guiding heuristic for yourself when i'm making decisions on what i should do i make decisions like i have free will right so i don't sit around and go well i'm just tired and i can't do it and if i was gonna do it i would have done it and i can't get myself up to finish this task but when i see someone else suffering i gotta remember okay well maybe they literally can't do it they tried telling themselves all those things 
things. They tried getting their emotional energy up, and they just didn't succeed at doing that. Yeah. I was trying to wrap this up in a way that's coherent, because this is such a big topic, like, doing this in an hour and a half or whatever. I was just thinking, yeah, like, I I could talk about this for so long. It's going to be one that we, you know, realistically, we have been exploring without using the name, and now that we have the wording for it, we can continue exploring in future episodes. We'll say, well, here's an example of this idea of free will versus not having free will. God, I'm excited. I didn't realize until I started working with this podcast, like, just how much I like ethicality and philosophy. I'm just like, oh, it's so cool. Look at all these things that bend your brain. (laughs) Bend it more. Yes, bend it more. And they explode my mind. (laughs) I eventually found all this really freeing after I got over being depressed. (laughs) Yeah, once you got over the, aw, that was sad. How long did your stage one last? I don't know. It's hard to say because I mostly dealt with that before I believed in it, if that makes sense. I don't know that I moved forward before I came up with an alternate system. Oh, okay. But it's hard to say that I did still believe in it, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So it'd be more like, I couldn't figure out how free will would work. But I was worried that if I didn't have free will, then nothing that I ever did would have meaning. And I just sort of sat with that for like a few years and read, you know, a lot of texts on it and such. I eventually was like, well, whether or not I have free will doesn't change how I experience the outcome of my choices. And the way that I experience my outcome of my choices still undergirds whether or not my life is enjoyable, if I feel good about myself if my friends and family are happy and safe. So I still need to make those choices even if I don't have whatever free will would be. But the other thing is I came to realize that the idea of free will is absurd because, okay, so I keep using this language non-causal. So what non-causal, what I have in mind is if you're in a causal universe, you can only make whatever decision you are caused to make by the backlog of previous information that you've experienced in your genetic disposition. So basically the physical state of the universe plus all of your experiences is entered into some sort of human brain calculation that then comes up with here's what I'm going to say next here's what I'm going to do next and then you do that some of those things are more obvious than others like I do a thing where I catch things I drop that are there's no way I, I did it intentionally not on a cognitive level so like I'll drop something towards a wall and my hand will shoot to the bottom left near my knee and catch it in a way that only catches it because it bounced off the wall. So like my spatial awareness, my general sense of how objects fall, my previous experience with falling objects, dropping and catching all comes together to make a light speed decision to catch that object. But that's clearly not free will. Like I, I didn't even process it. Like the object dropped and then it was in my hand and I didn't process the in-between at a conscious mm-hmm. level. And yet I made an important set of decisions and calculations that saved me from cleaning up a horrible mess and breaking like a family heirloom right and that never seemed to bother me (laughs) i was never like oh that's terrible look at me that's stupid (laughs) so that's a that's a causal universe right so my animal instincts and my experiences lead me to catch objects so they don't break which saves me grief because that makes my life more pleasant can you teach me that and so then a non-causal free will would mean that you can make the decision that goes against all of your experiences and all of your genetic programming and all of your desires. So the only power that you would get if you had free will is to make the decision you don't want to make. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because we, we always make the decision we wanted to make mm-hmm. anyway, right? Like that's the nature of causality. The whole point is that you're a system designed to make decisions that are as good for you as you can make them. Granted, another people often say like, I know free will exists because I make bad decisions for myself all the time. <laughs> yeah, but you didn't mean to do that. <laughs> Like, you didn't make a bad decision. Manny raised her hand. I think she was thinking in that direction. Present and accounted for. (laughs) 
you didn't mean to make a decision that hurt you. And at the moment, that decision made sense for some reason. So like one of the things that I struggle with is losing time, which is to say that I start to do something like watch a television show and then I've watched 12 episodes and it's two in the morning and I'm going to be incredibly in pain tomorrow. And that was just a bad series of decisions. (laughs) That was just last night. (laughs) (laughs) But at each moment that I hit the next play button or that I don't turn off the television, it is because I'm getting an endorphin response and an enjoyment Mm -hmm. response because that moment feels so good. I don't want it to end. And even though I'm consciously aware that it's not in net equal, at that moment, it feels so good that it's worth continuing to do. So you're still making the decision that feels like the best decision for you. It feels good at the time, but you know you should have only watched six episodes. And I mean, and you know, like eight episodes in, you've checked the time and you're like, fuck, I really should be in bed, but this show's really good. Well, to some extent, for me, that's just evidence of a causal universe. I was thinking the same thing. Because it's an endorphin. And I read I read an article the other day about why binge watching is so addictive. It's amazing. And the bottom line is, and we talked about this before, it's like binge eating. The more you keep loading something that's positive, every second you just enjoy it again and you enjoy it again and you keep staying and it becomes even, you get responses from like the taboo response like fuck it i'm just gonna stay up like i'm doing things for me like there's all these other statistics like i'm living my best life right now We're really bad at calculating future of happiness. I just call that irresponsible. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's not it's not irresponsible. We're, we're loaded to do that. We're set up to do that. Which, if you think about it, makes a lot of sense. It's the bird in the hand is worth two in the bush metaphor, right? So people always talk about like that. That's a responsible decision. Like a bird in the hand is worth two in the bush. Yeah, but two in the bush is two. If I could catch both of them, that's better than the bird in the hand. And if I make all the responsible choices, I will. But when it comes to eating, if I'm actually holding a bird, that's dinner. Mm-hmm. So if I get rid of that to go after two birds I could get and they get away, then I start to death then you're dumb yeah so humans evolve to prefer the immediate gratification response because you can always try and get other good things later oh yeah if you take the good thing that you have in front of you right now it's another one of those things that just doesn't deal well with modern society yeah. humans were never meant to live anywhere that had infinite access to enjoyable entertainment infinite access to food 24 7 we were never meant to do that infinite access to fucking light yeah <laughs> that's such a problem if you've ever gone truly backpacking camping walk away from all of civilization and all technology. No, but I want to. You don't feel bad about not having anything to watch. You never feel bored for some reason. You go to bed on time because when the sun goes down, you literally can't do anything but go to bed. Mm -hmm. You get up on time because when the sun comes up, you can't do anything but get up. You take a nap in the middle of the day because you really have nothing else to do and you just thought you'd sit down for a minute and then you passed out and woke up an hour (laughs) later because, I mean, there's nothing to do. You're in the middle of the wood. Right. But so then, if, like, a deer ran by you should totally chase that deer that's always the right choice that's food and entertainment all in one right i never thought of it that way it is food and entertainment but in our society this this imagination of of michael running and chasing a deer i mean that's what television replaces right is is watching nature right i was gonna say that's like dinner in a movie that's (laughs) come on baby let's go chase that deer (laughs) Like, <laughs> so television replaces that, but 
because in the evolutionary environment there was no unhealthy version of excitement mm. everything that was exciting was exciting because it was important uh. either i need to run away from a lion which is a healthy choice so even if you don't sleep tonight because you're escaping the lion you needed to escape that lion you know agriculture has only existed for say ten thousand years we only have like four evolutionary features that come post agriculture most evolutionary features that we have are pre-agriculture usually it takes hundreds of thousands of years to evolve to something so right now you are taking an animal that is an a social apex predator and putting it in a space that has all of the things it could ever want in infinite amounts mm-hmm. we, d- we just have none of the built-in ability to resist those things and so we spend huge amounts of mental and social energy trying not to make the wrong decision all the time but in the end oftentimes our evolutionary nature wins and that's when you end up binge watching all night because your conscious mind knows tomorrow i'm gonna feel like someone stabbed me in the eyeball and hate my life and honestly for the next three days after that (laughs) but tonight this is really fun but there was no equivalent to that in the evolutionary state whatever was keeping you up all night you needed to do that i don't know what that was back in the day but whatever it was it was worth engaging in we call it that decision the fuck it we'll figure it out later decision right and that is a terrible decision most Mm -hmm. of the time yes but so the point is that having free will would basically be being able to do that which you do not want to do where once you've weighed all of the evidence and all of your background information and you weighed it against your genetics and you've decided on what your answer is going to be to then somehow do the opposite of that yeah or just different than that. That's what free will would look like. And the thing is, even if you had free will, you'd never use it. It's like a theoretical pointlessness, uh, right? So even yeah. if I gave you the option to do the opposite of what you want to do, but I also gave the option to do what you want to do, you would just do what you want to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I would binge watch Homeland. <laughs> so the point is that even if you ha- if that option existed, so right now we just assume that you're causal, so your previous experiences lead you to binge watching Homeland. But if suddenly I added the magical ability for you through some mystical system to choose to do something different than that, but you still had all of the same drives, desires, interests, and instincts that you have as yourself, you're not going to do it. You're not going to take the option that isn't the thing that you wanted to do. It's a nonsensical power is what it comes down to. It's a non... Right. It doesn't make any sense. I can't figure out any context where I would ever use free will even if I possessed it. Is it free will though that I turn Netflix off and I go to sleep? I'd argue that no. Because that's not what I want to do. But it's really what I need to do. Right, but I mean, the input that you've had prior to being in a situation where you have the option to continue to stay up or to turn off Netflix is part of the causality. And so um, with that right. that input that you have, you're making the choice to either keep it going or turn it off. If you've had a bad day and you're like, fuck it, I've had a bad day and I deserve this. That's based on input that you've had. At some point in your life, someone saying like, or uh, something telling you, you know what, because you've had a bad day you should do this this is something that could help you but you could also be like because i've had a bad day i might have a bad day tomorrow if i stay up yeah i mean i think in the end it's still causal because what happened is you'd experience how incredibly painful staying up all night binge watching television is right and you become afraid of that Mm -hmm. yeah because in the end if you weren't afraid of that you would always binge watch television every single night of your life because it feels good and the only reason i don't do that is i know it will hurt like i am just aware that it will hurt me and that's the only reason i don't do that because if i could sit up all night binge watching television and then function well on three hours of sleep and not be hurt by it who the fuck wouldn't do that i'd do it every night that's what i would do yeah so do that so i only you're only not doing it because you're scared of the outcome really at that point you have successfully calculated your future happiness and made the decision that will maximize your total happiness by denying ourselves happiness at the moment yeah Yeah. that decision making is foreign to me (laughs) most times 
It's not, though. You work a job or have worked a job for most of your adult life, and I assume you never thought working at that job was, like, exciting. I mean, maybe for small periods of time, like when you first got the job, <laughs> when you're, like, learning the job. But for the vast majority of hours that any human being has worked at their job, you're not there because that's amazing. Like, there's a small number of people who are just doing, like, their passion all the time and just also get paid for it. Those lucky bastards. Right. Not counting those people. And honestly, even, like, if you look at the stats, even the people who are doing what they love, usually most of the time they're not doing what they love. Yeah. So, like, you know, I know a lot of really successful artists who one-tenth of their time is the art they want to make. Right. Right. The rest is what will sell. And so 90% of their work time is still not doing what they want. Yeah. Because they know that by doing that, they can support eating, doing what they want, the stuff that matters to them, having a family. Having a house. So, no, humans do that. If we didn't do that, you wouldn't have houses. Yeah. <laughs> so we make decisions about future happiness. And really, most of the time when someone says you did the wrong thing, they that's what they mean. They mean you didn't calculate future happiness accurately. You didn't weigh future happiness versus current happiness. Or or total happiness if you're in like a family unit. Like you made right. a decision that hurt a lot of people to help yourself a little. Yeah. Okay, so wrapping this up. I don't want to leave people just sort of floating in space. And so what I want to say is your choices still affect the world absolutely even though your choices are caused and so you can have compassion for yourself which is an important and valuable thing so to talk about those bad decisions like binge watching the easiest way to break binge watching statistically is not to think oh shit i've done a terrible job binge watching i should go to bed it's actually to say i forgive myself for binge watching and i don't want to hurt myself any more than i already have so whatever i did is okay but let's go ahead and go to bed now right so that self-blame actually is what keeps you binge watching believe it or not because once you start to blame yourself that starts to make you feel shitty and then the binge watching fixes that by making you feel good for a minute so it's like you're only out and it creates a cycle of just self-defeating scenarios even though i know all of you out there listening have heard your whole lives that life only matters if you have free will you don't right yeah. you don't you just you don't and it's even if you did lie. you'd never use it free will makes literally no sense nothing that you've ever learned in any part of reality other than whatever you learn free will exists backs up free will scientists don't talk about animal free will when doing science experiments they don't talk about free will when doing experiments with people there's no reason to think that free will exists and the people that have managed to keep that concept around and alive in a meaningful way have just defined it in a way that doesn't matter to anybody right. so like if you want to say by free will that there isn't someone else physically threatening you cool but you know what even most free will people i know don't get angry about people who are being physically threatened i'm gonna be honest yeah. it doesn't matter anymore like that's not what most people mean like i'm talking about the average person and the only time that you're gonna hear conversations about free will or the only reason that people use free will in conversations is to place blame and and to allow for good yeah. and evil how can you be evil right. if you're if you're causal if right. this was always what you were going to do and you were always going to come to all the same conclusions that you've come to in your life then how can you be an evil being but that is not to say that you don't need to take accountability for keeping yourself happy and safe and healthy. This is not an excuse for people mm -hmm. to abuse you, right? So just because someone is causal doesn't mean that they're safe. Hurricanes are causal, but you would escape a hurricane, mm -hmm. right? Lions are causal, but you wouldn't let the lion eat you and be like, oh, well, it's not your fault you're eating my foot. <laughs> I don't want to deny you your dinner. You need to go. And if you have to shoot the lion, shoot the lion. By the way, lions don't actually attack people, except for in really rare circumstances, don't 
shoot the lion. Yes. We're running out of lions. They're endangered. Don't do it. But if a predatory animal is attacking you and you need to save yourself, save yourself. Don't get murdered by a predatory animal, right? And the same thing is true of other people. That just because those people aren't good or evil doesn't mean they're not antisocial. It doesn't mean they're not harmful. It doesn't mean that you are some sort of superhero who has to deal with that for the rest of your life and try and fix them and save them and protect other people from them. Right. You only need to do what you can do in a healthy and sustainable way. So if you've got the energy for it and you're up for it, go do you, super person. <laughs> but if you're not up for it, you know, know your limits, know your boundaries, set your boundaries and stick with them and do what makes you happy. You know, we're already doing what make, makes us happy. Just stop feeling guilty about it. Forgive yourself for the mistakes you make. Forgive yourself for the way that the non-evolutionary environment hijacks your brain and causes you to binge watch stuff till two in the morning. Just forgive yourself and show yourself actual kindness, which is going to bed and not staying up till two in the morning watching shows. You know, that's not real kindness. You know, that won't actually make you happier. And on that note, Mandy and Andy promised to let her go by 9 o'clock so that she can go to bed and not feel like she got punched in the face tomorrow. Because I have set boundaries. Because <laughs> Mandy has set active boundaries. And that's, that's and maybe, good. Maybe in future, a future podcast we can talk about how to forgive yourself. Yeah, that is a good one. That's an important one. So next week, we have an amazing episode. We're being joined by Louis Aiello, a oh, friend of mine. <laughs> Um, who has autism spectrum disorder. Mandy, did you disorder. shimmy at her screen? Did I? Yeah, Mandy, oh, I thought you did. did. I thought you shimmied at her. Mandy's very excited. Here, go on. I think she shimmied in general from excitement. I did. I, I was very excited. <laughs> I, I, I really enjoyed recording that episode and our interview with Lewis. And, uh, so, yeah. We are responding to a listener question about how to handle people with invisible disabilities and especially autism spectrum disorder in kink and non-monogamous spaces. And I I think in other spaces more generally. It's a really great episode and his opinion is unique and it's wonderful to have someone from the actual community be able to be on yes. the show and talk about it. I learned so much. In that Same. Episode. It was great. It was, it's probably head and shoulders like the, the most I've learned in one of the episodes we've done. It has impacted me the most. Alright. Alright. Thanks Bye, for Good night everybody. We'll see you next Bye. time. Bye.